Do you believe in a God who hears and answers prayer? Good. If, if, if that's all that I need to say, then I can be done right here. But you know there's more coming. So the further question to that is, does my life, does your life, does our life as a church reflect a life, a praying life, a life that can't be lived apart from God hearing and answering prayer? Uh, if our lives depended upon prayer, which they, which they do, then if you were to follow us around, if you could have insight into our innermost thoughts and observe us day in and day out, would you say that I'm a praying man, that you're a praying woman or man, and we're a praying church? So with that, we're going to talk about prayer. This is uh, a series we're doing called Commitments of a Healthy Church for a Healthy Church. And we have a, a statement of commitments that you can pick up at the uh, information desk, if you please. It talks about things that we're committed to at Harvest, uh, things that we hope by God's grace that we can grow into and fulfill, growing and understanding more and more and practice and understanding what it means for us as believers. So we're going to look at a passage of Scripture from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20, and we'll be uh, walking through that. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 to 20. Jumping right in, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening up my mouth boldly in proclamation to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And may that same Holy Spirit that inspires prayer be with us and now in understanding and applying in my teaching of God's Word. So the context of this passage is spiritual warfare. If, you, if we were to back up and read through from verse 10, we'd see that what Paul's talking about is he's saying, Be strong in the Lord, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the devil's schemes. You need to take up the whole armor of God to stand firm. Put on all that you have in Christ, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And he's saying in order for that to be effective, in order to really lay hold of those things, in order to stand firm spiritually, you need to be praying at all times in the Spirit. So again, uh, whether the source of our spiritual battle, and we are always coming in and out of spiritual battles, whether the source of that is the world and its turmoil, or the flesh, our own sinful desires, or the devil and his schemes, or all three or two or any of those at any given time, um, unless we are praying, we will not stand spiritually. That's what this text teaches. Unless we are praying people, we will not stand spiritually. We'll be taken down. Maybe not for the permanent long haul, but we will suffer spiritual defeat. Why do we need to pray at all times? Because we are always dependent on God for spiritual strength, for for wisdom to stand firm spiritually. 
like soldiers on the battlefield, we need to keep in constant communication with our commanding officer. And really, this at all times, I mean, seriously, we're we praying at all times, how do we do that? Well, everything in life can be something to bring to our Father in prayer. Uh, we need wisdom. You're fighting temptation. You're discouraged. Your health issues, fears, stress, kids, kids, <laughs> sins, parents, spouses. We always are dependent on God for spiritual strength, wisdom to stand firm spiritually like soldiers on the battlefield. We need to be praying at all times because uh, our families, I, I have concluded after years of talking to people and observing that there's, the kingdom of God advances more through the praying grandmothers than about anybody else. So if you're a praying, praying grandmother today, you are a major force to be reckoned with in God's kingdom. Praying moms as well. Praying parents. Uh, we need to pray at all times because of our neighbors, our work, our school, finances, things going on in the world. It may not be legal to talk on your cell phone and drive at the same time, but it's legal to pray and drive at the same time. Keep your eyes open, I suggest. (laughs) But this praying at all times, if we see the need, everything can be turned into a need for us to turn to God in prayer. So it's really not hard to be praying at all times if we understand that. We are to pray in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit means you're not praying rote prayers, but relationally to your Heavenly Father. I'm not against written prayers, but just prayers that are rote, repetitive, um, that don't mean anything from your heart. So praying in the Spirit means I'm praying from the heart to my Heavenly Father. We've received the Spirit of the adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit causes us to, to, to know God as Father. He causes us to be God's child. And so we pray to God as His child, as His son and daughter. Uh, We think we can't pray because we don't know what to say. We think we have to have certain words. You know, I I always wonder how Bugs Bunny would have prayed if he really followed uh, uh, the advice of of his enemy, who always said, say your prayers, rabbit. He never prays. He just kind of trusted in himself. So Bugs Bunny is not a good example to follow. But if we get it, we know that we always need to pray, and we need to pray in the Spirit because the Spirit is the Spirit of adoption. We come to God as a child does to her father. We don't ignore, we don't ignore our four-year-old because she can't express herself in adult terms. We love her and understand her weakness in ex- expressing herself. That's why for many of us, one of our favorite passages in Romans 8, it says the Spirit knows our weakness, prays for us, intercedes for us according to God's understanding because we don't know how to pray as we ought. And he intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Also, praying in the Spirit involves properly understanding praying in Jesus' name. That means not just saying in Jesus' name in our prayers, but the, um, from the heart desiring that Jesus be honored and glorified. We are appealing to the Holy Spirit to conform our prayers to Christ's purposes. The Spirit has no greater desire and design than advancing the name of Jesus. The Holy Spirit loves to magnify the name of Jesus. So when we pray in Jesus' name, again, we're not just, it's okay to say it, but, but it's not just a tagline. It's not just, okay, God, uh, I said in Jesus' name, so I'm done. That's not all that's for. It's for saying, I trust in Jesus, 
that he's going to do what is right in his will. He's going to do what is good. I'm trusting in him and my relationship to you through him. So the Holy Spirit is active as we pray in Jesus' name. We're summoning the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish his purposes. So we keep our praying centered on Christ and his glory. We truly submit our desires to Jesus when we pray in Jesus' name. And since the Spirit of God inspired the Word of God, praying God's Word will lead us to praying in the, in the Spirit. We'll talk more about that in a little, in a little bit. Uh, so we are to pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So Paul's just stacking on the prayer words, praying with all prayer and supplication. So what exactly is prayer? It's kind of assumed we all know what prayer is. So what is it? Is it communion with God? Yes. Is it adoration and praise of God? Of course. Is it confession of sin? You bet. Thanksgiving? Yes. Supplication and request. Supplication is a big word for the word request or pleading with God. Uh, Absolutely. So just as there are different ways we communicate with those we know and love, so prayer has a variety of ways we communicate to God and with God. And so that acronym, A-C-T-S, is a, is a good one. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, A-C-T-S. All of those elements are present in, in, in prayer. So, uh, but uh, to say that prayer is not only asking God for things, we might miss that there are ways that we are asking God for things that he has taught us how to pray when we pray the Lord's Prayer. What we read this morning Jesus shows us how to ask for things that are not just self-centered. So when we pray, hallowed be your name, have you ever wonder what that means? Hallowed be your name. What we're asking, we're asking God, would you cause your name to be seen for what it is, glorious and holy and magnificent, by the world which largely trashes and ignores your name? And your kingdom come. We're asking, God, would you bring in your kingdom, your gracious reign and rule, your redemptive reign and rule? So I'm asking God to do what he desires to do anyway, but that's what prayer is. It's not asking God, twisting his arm to do what God doesn't want to do. It's asking God to, to bring in his kingdom. And your will be done. I'm asking, God, would your will be done here in a world that absolutely hates to do your will and doesn't, is willfully ignorant of your will? So these kinds of prayers put our focus on God, not our selfish desires or our limited perspective. And he does tell us how to pray for our own needs. We Give us this day our daily bread. We ask the Lord to supply our daily, need, our daily needs. And you say, are you kidding? We've got Costco and Super Walmart. Why do we need to ask God to supply our daily bread? If God didn't supply it, there would be zero food on the shelves of Costco and Super Walmart. I'm not kidding. Not even at 7-Eleven. God supplies our daily needs. He uses means to do it, but he is the Lord over all of that. Forgive us our sin debts as we forgive the sin debts of others. Help us to forgive others as you forgive us. And please, don't bring us into trial and testing. Don't bring us into temptation. Don't bring us into trials and testings that are too great for us. But if we are being tested, if we are in trial, deliver us from evil. All right, so that's the Lord's Prayer, and that's how that's, Jesus teaches us how to ask God, or even what to ask God for things in the right proportion. So hopefully you can see that praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication is not only for a monk in a monastery or a few extreme prayer warriors. Uh, Paul wrote these words to everyday Christians, not professional prayers. How can we possibly do what this text says? 
Well, certainly we need some dedicated, undistracted time, best with the Bible. God loves to have his word praised, praised and pleaded back to him. God approves of our plagiarizing of the Psalms, for example. So, for example, uh, this week, I'm always in the Psalms every day. You, you should be in the Psalms every day. If you're not, get in it. And just take the words and use them. This worked for me this week. Psalm 141, O Lord, I call upon you, hasten to me, give ear to my voice when I call to you, let my prayer be counted as incense before you. God, find, don't reject my prayers, find them acceptable, and so on. So just take the Psalms and pray those, if nothing else. God loves it when we pray his word back to him. And so you can do that with any passage in Scripture. Prayer lists or journal are helpful. Whatever works for you, you can put it in your smartphone, you can use paper, whatever, keeping track of things to see how God answers prayer. Anything and everything can be an opportunity to pray, whether five seconds or five minutes or five hours. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. One of these applies to any situation we encounter. Constant prayer is to be constantly God-aware. Constant prayer is to be constantly God-aware. So you can do this. It's just always thinking about God in every situation in your life. And now, do we do it faithfully? I struggle to do it. And so I'm preaching this to myself and a good reminder to all of us that we need to be living, our lives need to be praying lives. You still don't think you have time to pray? How about this? What if we were to cut back just 10% of our media consumption and devote that to prayer? Just a thought. And then Paul goes on and says, we're not only to pray at all times, in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, but he says, to that end, keep alert. To that end. We won't pray always unless we keep spiritually alert, keep spiritually vigilant. At the same time, praying keeps us spiritually alert. So it is both being spiritually alert in prayer and it keeps us spiritually alert. We usually get spiritually drowsy, deceived, discouraged, depressed, disoriented, distracted, and lose heart and focus for praying. Do you do that? Or am I the only one? Discouraged, deceived, distracted, depressed, don't feel like praying, disoriented. Rather than letting these things discourage us from praying, they should be the very things that drive us to pray, right? Everything becomes an opportunity to pray. It doesn't have to mean face down on your, on your knees, or it could mean that for hours, but for seconds, constantly shooting up prayers to God and everything you're dealing with. Very things that we pray for strength and heart to overcome. Let the realities of sin, weakness, suffering, and sickness compel us to pray to our good God who can use all these things for good. He can either stop them, he can change them, or he can give us the grace to stand in the midst of them. Always there's a solution in God. So prayer is hope-filled even in the worst of the worst situations. And if you are like me and prone to spiritual dullness and distraction, you have frequent reason to complain. Just complain about your heart to God. God, I'm so tired of just this dullness, spiritual dullness that is, I'm weak. I, I don't have the heart to pray. Pray about that. So there's never a reason not to pray. Never a thing that, that you can't bring to the Lord. And so uh, Paul says we're to be spiritually alert with all perseverance. With all perseverance. 
Persevere in prayer. Why? Why do we need to persevere in prayer? Well, because God commands us to, for one thing. God has appointed prayer as a vital means by which he works to accomplish his purposes. Colossians 4.2 says, Continue steadfastly in prayer. Jesus said we ought always to pray and not to lose heart. And by the way, Jesus was a model prayer, and you would think he doesn't need to pray, but he prayed every opportunity he got. He prayed uh, in every situation. Because we are weak and so prone to caving in to the intoxicating and discouraging pressures of this life, we're either coming into times of testing or we're coming, we've just coming out. We're in the middle of it or we're coming out of times of testing. So Jesus asked Peter, James, and John to keep on prayer alert as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross. He's heading into the biggest test ever and he warns them to pray so they don't enter into temptation. They kept falling asleep. He said, could you not keep watch and prayer for an hour? Keep praying so that you don't enter into testing that becomes temptation that leads to, leads to a fall. So what did they do? They kept sleeping. They kept falling into temptation. And they finally fled him and, and left him. When they all said they weren't going to do it, Peter fell the biggest. Because Jesus said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Man, that's the story of our lives, isn't it? Our spirits are willing. We want to do what God wants to do. We want to pray. We want to stand firm spiritually, but our flesh is weak, and so we desperately need to be people of prayer. Becky Heverling shared with me about her father, how he, in his older age, would try to pray and kept falling asleep. Say, man, I'm in my 50s, and I fall asleep when I pray. So, And she said that his solution was he walked and talked, talked, prayed out loud and walked. Right? You got the story right? So it's like whatever it takes to do to get prayer in and not sleep through it. In fact, if you need to get up and walk to stay awake for this message, do it and pray as you're doing it. I'm fine with that. Um, and that, so that persevering in prayer, John Calvin said, prayer accompanied by, unaccompanied by perseverance leads to no result. Prayer unaccompanied by perseverance leads to no result. Bad results, too. Few things can overwhelm our keeping alert in prayer and persevering in prayer more than being anxious. Few things can do it more than being anxious. Being anxious means like worrying, fretting, getting stressed out, or by scientific name, being freaked out. What do we get anxious, worry, fret, stress, or freak out over? Well, all kinds of things, but things that we can't control, either we want to stop that are driving us crazy, or that we want to have that we don't think we can get. We get stressed out, we, we start worrying, we get anxious. What's with all this anxiety anyway? Paul, in Philippians 4, 6, and I think I have, might have that up on the screen, exhorts us, be anxious about nothing. Really? Really? Be anxious about nothing? Are you kidding, Paul? How can it be possible to be anxious about nothing when there's so much to be anxious about? Why are we all so anxious in our culture? Anxiety and its associated disorders represent the most common form of officially classified mental illness in the United States. More common even than depression and other mood disorders. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, some 40 million American adults, about one in six, are suffering from some kind of anxiety disorder at any given time. 
Based on the most recent data from the Department of Health and Human Services, their treatment accounts for more than a quarter of all spending on mental health care. So here's how one man in the Atlantic Monthly, he wrote an article, he describes his attempts to deal with his anxieties. He said, here's what I've tried. Individual psychotherapy, three decades of it, family therapy, group therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, rational emotive behavioral therapy, acceptance and commitment therapy, hypnosis, meditation, role-playing, interoceptive exposure therapy, in vivo exposure therapy, self-help workbooks, massage therapy, prayer, he just includes prayer as one, uh, acupuncture, yoga, stoic philosophy, and audio tapes I ordered off a late-night TV infomercial. And, not only that, he says, and medication. Lots of medication. Thorazine, imepramine, desepramine, chlorophenic, Chlorpheniramine, Nardil, Boostbar, Prozac, Zoloft, Paxil, Wellbutrin, Effexor, Selexa, Lexapro, Cymbalta, Lovox, Trezodone, Levoxyl, Indorol, Tranxine, Serax, Centrax, St. John's Wort, Zolpidem, Valium, Librium, Ativan, Xanax, Clonopin. Also, beer, wine, gin, bourbon, vodka, and scotch. <laughs> Here's what worked. Nothing. Then he says, actually, that's not entirely true. Some drugs have helped a little for finite periods of time. But he says, he concludes, none of these treatments has fundamentally reduced the underlying anxiety that has seemed hardwired into my body and into my life, into my soul, and at that time makes my life a misery. Now, most of us simply want to get rid of anxiety. Some hunt for a pill that will relieve the stress. Others pursue therapy. Instead of fighting anxiety, we should use it. Really, we should use it to turn our hearts to God. Instead of trying to suppress anxiety, manage it or smother it with pleasure, we can turn our anxiety to God. As we practice this, we'll find we have slipped into praying always. It's like James said, Is any among you suffering, suffering anxiety? Let him pray. So that's what Paul says in Philippians 4, 6, Do not be anxious about anything. In the midst of every trial, every struggle, everything and anything about which you are anxious, pray. Let your request be made known to God. Give thanks to God for whatever good you can see. But in everything by prayer and supplication, all kinds of asking God, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Giving thanks reflects a heart of hope in God and confidence in His goodness. Faith, prayer does require faith. Even if I don't see the goodness of God in the midst of it, I know he is good. I know he will do it as good. I know it's worth praying. I know his promises are good. This very promise you can take to the bank. God's promised. This is the solution for anxiety. Now, you may have uh, organic things going on. I'm not saying you shouldn't see a doctor with some of those issues, but I'm saying our generic anxiety is dealt with this way. Let your request be known to God, giving thanks, even in the midst of a bitter providence. It's the best prescription against, against anxiety because as you pray with thanksgiving, Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God's very own peace, God's very own peace will be yours. His shalom, in which God is not anxious, God's never experienced a fraction of a second of being stressed out and freaked out over anything. He's angry at times, but he's not out of control. 
He's never uh, confused. He's never anxious. He's never worrying. Oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? He doesn't experience that. He actually is in control, confident, knows exactly what he is doing. God has the power and wisdom to deal with every situation. Now, his son Jesus felt the humanness of anxiety. He never didn't trust God, but he, he modeled pouring out his heart, when, especially when he's facing the cross. But the promise is, as you pray, God's peace will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus, who has experienced the limitations of our humanity, who has experienced the temptation to anxiety. Our affections, our heart, our thoughts, our mind is the battle zone of anxiety. God's peace will set a Christ-empowered fortress around our hearts and minds. However God chooses to answer, His way, His timing, He promises peace. So when we're struggling with anxiety, we take this very text to God and say, God, would you do this text? Would you grace me with this text? Would you grace me with the peace that you promised? As we pray and we pour out our hearts to God with persevering over the long haul, sometimes we try it. Oh, I tried prayer and it didn't work. It didn't say the time frame here. It says, trust in God, keep praying, persevering, keeping spiritually alert, not, not letting discouragement douse your prayers. And it says this peace doesn't make sense to human knowledge or human understanding because it's rooted in trust in God. The very nature of God's peace is that His ways are not our ways. They're higher than our ways. We are deceiving or we are declaring our trust in God, His goodness, His power, His wisdom, and our own inability to figure things out and our own lack of power to fix things even if we did figure them out. And we recognize the only reason God will show us favor in granting us his peace or any other answers to our prayers is because we are in Christ Jesus. In Christ, in Christ, we have access to God's throne of grace. We are as accepted to God as Jesus' son. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Not all things we think we need, when we think we need them, but all things that God knows are for our good. We've got to trust Him for that. What shape would we be in if our parents gave us everything we asked for when we asked for it? The answer to that is probably not too great. Because as kids, we don't have the wisdom to know what's good, best for us. Of course, we often say no to something now to our kids that we know that will be far better for them later or we have something far better in mind than what they're asking for. That's how it is with us and God. He has better things for us. We either trust God in prayer or we don't. We continue to persevere, trusting in God's goodness and His power and in Christ who redeems us, saves us, through, and who experiences our weakness. Well, then these last bits here, uh, praying for all God's people, praying at all times, making supplication for all the saints. Wow, how do you do that? Well, prayers take us outside of ourselves to God and for others. A major reason for being in a community group or being involved in other ways in ministry is you get to know what people are struggling with and you pray for them. So uh, do that. Be part of a community group. Take the phone directory of the church, probably just a few out there right now, and pray through that or can you pray for one harvest person a day? One harvest person a day to keep the devil away. <laughs> and that would be good. Pray for, pray for the ministries and leaders. We really want you to send us your prayer requests via the About You and the inside of your bulletin or through the prayer chain 
uh, calling the church or the email. You can keep it anonymous if you want. You know, we need to be praying for one another. We need to know how to pray for one another. Best to pray for people in the moment, I find. It's easy to say, I'll pray for you, and sometimes we do it, sometimes we don't. Praying for people on the spot, whether over the phone or in person, is a good way to just pray right then, and then you'll remember better to pray for them later. So don't be surprised if when you talk to me, I'll, I'll say, hey, can I pray with you? In the moment. And uh, all saints, praying for all saints obviously goes beyond harvest because there are more saints in the world than just at harvest. Thank the Lord. Praise him. We could use a prayer coordinator. Uh, if you're interested in helping us coordinate prayer efforts both within harvest and outside of harvest, talk to me. I'd love to have somebody to, to, to take that ministry on and to help give coordination. There's a ministry called Clark County Prayer Connect that um, Dennis Fuqua is, uh, leads, and he, he's always trying to uh, arrange for churches to be praying for one another and praying for the community. So there's opportunities there, how we pray beyond our own walls, but there's plenty of needs here, so we need to be praying for one another always. And then the last two verses, six, uh, 19 and 20, pray for the proclaimers and progress of the gospel. That's what Paul's saying. Pray for me, the words may be given me, opening my mouth boldly to make the word clear as I ought to make it clear. So a shameless plug, pray for me. Pray for me before I preach. Pray for me as right now. Pray for me. If you want better preaching, I need you to pray more. <laughs> really. That's what Paul's saying. But if you who are mostly my friends, so Paul was saying, I'm going to have to go. I'm in prison right now. When I'm, when I'm out, uh, I'm going to go to court. I'm going to be preaching the gospel to my enemies. So hopefully here I don't have too many enemies, maybe a few, but mostly friends. Pray for me. Please, I'm pleading with you, pray for the ministry of the word. Pray for our elders as we shepherd God's people according to their word. Turn your complaints into prayer. For every complaint you give, pray. Uh, I know Roy does. Be like Roy. He prays. We can pray for lost progress of the gospel, for lost family, friends, neighbors, classmates, coworkers, and, and then don't give up on that. That's where we often fall down. We pray for a while, then we give up. Pray for our mission workers and organizations. There's, we'll talk more about this in upcoming weeks when we talk about missions, but A.J. Pillay and his ministry in India, Ron Frost, Sarah Deal, the Pringles, CPC, AGCI Orphanages, Young Life and Matt. You can go to our website, Unreach People Group of the Day, and if you go to click on missions and scroll down the bottom of that page, there's, every day there's a different Unreach People group. It's the Joshua Project. There's all kinds of ways to pray for all kinds of people. Um, Roderick Gilbert, we recently connected with him, made a couple trips to India. He prays, and his people pray quite a bit. So Mark Bauman and Lisa, uh, friends that we connected with here in Seattle area to connect us with Roderick Gilbert, uh, they've spent a couple months over there, and Mark emailed this. In New Delhi, approximately 60 or 70 leaders from the ministry are here. Many hours of prayer were given to the Lord for Africa, Europe, America, Australia, South America, and Asia in large and small groups. So we don't always have to spend hours in prayer, but we should be praying for people around the world and praying for the movement of the gospel, praying for churches. 
being built up in other parts of the world. That's what Roger Gilbert is modeling for us. They spent five hours in prayer praying for South America, North America, all the, the nations on the earth. David McIntyre, who wrote a little gem called The Hidden Life of Prayer, writes, Every gracious work which has been accomplished within the kingdom of God has been begun, fostered, and consummated by prayer. Every gracious work which has been accomplished within the kingdom of God has been begun, carried on, and completed by prayer. Do you believe that prayer is vital? We're back to where we started. Do you believe in a prayer-hearing, prayer-answering God? Oh, may God grant us the grace to grow as a praying people. Prayer doesn't merely prepare us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work, someone says. I can't remember who said that. Prayer is the greater work. In this age, while we're in between Christ's comings, as we anticipate his coming, we're to be in prayer. May George Mueller's orphanage purpose be our purpose. He said the first and primary object of the work of his orphanages was back in the 1800s in England was that God may be magnified by the fact that all that we've asked for, God has supplied through prayer. They didn't ask anybody for anything. They asked totally, only, only God. He says, wherefore it may be seen that God is faithful still and hears prayer still. So may we have that kind of life. Does my life, does our church life, magnify God by the way we display our dependence upon him in prayer and that he answers prayer? Oh, God, may it be. Now, I'm going to pray, but we're going to pray further as we come to the Lord's table. So I'm going to pray during that time for what we've just been talking about. Um, The mechanics are we have a table here, a table back there, I think, right? There's one there, one here and one here. Now, the Lord's Supper is what Jesus instituted the night that he was betrayed, the night before he went to the cross. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. He took the bread and the cup of the final Passover meal and he said, this bread is my body, represents my body. It is for you to share among yourselves and do this in remembrance of me. He said, this cup represents my blood. It's a new covenant in my my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. This is a visible uh, acting out of the gospel It's a reminder of the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ saves us by his coming in the flesh, taking on our humanity, obeying in our place because we never obeyed God perfectly. Jesus did as a man. He died in our place on the cross, shed his blood for us. And so this is the good news, the gospel. And so what we're doing when we're taking this meal is this is not something magic. It's not something that... um, could by itself communicate some spiritual benefit to us apart from faith in Jesus Christ. So if you have yet to come to faith in Jesus Christ, please do. Like right now, that'd be great just to put your trust in Jesus Christ alone, just confessing him as son of God, crucified for your sins, raised again to a powerful life, that by putting your trust in him alone, he will save. If that is your heart dependence, if you are really trusting in him now, this meal is for you. If it's not yet that, this is something that we just ask you to, to observe, and we would love to talk with you further about what it means to come to Jesus. Uh, we'll give some time for reflection and for you to um, confess any sins to the Lord. 
confess your faith and, and appreciation for, in him for what he's done for you. And then you're going to come up and take the elements. We're going to be here to just pray a brief prayer, prayer of blessing for you as you take the elements. You're welcome to take them here and leave the cup and so forth here, or you're welcome to take the elements back to your seat. So we will um, we'll be here for you. We'll ask the elders who are assigned. So Roy will be up here. Bob's going to be back there. And Matt's going to be back there. And we have some gluten-free bread here. I need it. I don't know if anybody else does. So if you need gluten-free, come here. So let's, let me pray with you, and then we'll proceed to um, ready our hearts to take the, the elements together. Father in heaven, Abba, Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Father, that we have communion with you through your Son, Jesus Christ, only because he became our substitute, only because he, as a Son of God, took on human flesh, took on humanity, obeyed perfectly in our place, died bearing our sins in our place on the cross, perfectly paid all the debt of our sin, past, present, and future, and was raised again, proving he's the Son of God, proving he accepted his sacrifice, demonstrating that he is the Savior for the world, demonstrating that he, all who come to God through him, may be saved. If we confess with our mouths, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our hearts, you raise him from the dead, you said we may be saved. And you and your wisdom, Father, have granted us this memorial meal. You said as often as we drink this cup and eat of this bread, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we eagerly long for that day when this meal will be fulfilled, what represents in the kingdom of God. We will see the fullness of what you have saved us for, not to leave us in broken bodies, still sinning people, but one day sin-free and sickness-free and death-free. But until that time, Father, we by faith receive Jesus as the forgiver of our sins and the, the one who gives us everlasting life. We need him desperately. Father, we depend upon him. And we recognize that this meal doesn't do anything for us apart from faith in Jesus. And with faith in Jesus, we do have that connection with him. And would you help us, Father, to be a people who trust and depend upon you in prayer? Would you make us mindful throughout this week to pray without ceasing, to pray always in the Spirit with all kinds of prayer and supplications, keeping alert in it to this end, persevering in it. Thank you that you give us access through Jesus, our great intercessor, to your very throne of grace. And now, Father, would you cause the meditation of our hearts to be pleasing in your sight? Would you search us and cause us to see how perfect of a Savior Christ is for us? And call to mind anything that's, that's, um, that we just need to confess to you and, and clear the way for, for your grace to work. And even in recognizing that, if we would even desire that, that's your grace already at work in our lives, Father. So thank you for feeding us with Jesus. Thank you that we may drink of him and eat of him. Which means we connect with him by faith. It's in his name we pray. Amen.